The Extremis Publishing Podcast is endorsed by Heart 200, Scotland's most exciting road trip. Find out more at heart200.scot. Welcome to the Extremist Publishing Podcast. I'm Tom Christie. It's a great pleasure to be joined today by Mr. Ian McNeish, who's the author of From Demiat to Mont Blanc, Being Alive with Mountains, which is his memoir of a life spent on the mountains and in the hills of Scotland and far beyond. As befits a book which is set in the great outdoors, we are in fact broadcasting from an undisclosed location in the Highlands where Ian has a bothy. Ian, thanks for joining us today. It was a bit of a trek to get here, but yes, it's a pleasure to be in your company. So Ian, what can you tell us about your book? What was the inspiration behind it? I'd written another book, and I thought long and hard in that book what it was I was trying to tell the reader, and how I wanted the reader to engage with that book. It's the same principle with this book, in the sense that I come up with a different conclusion this time. I wanted to talk about my life meandering in mountains, but I didn't want it to come across as a high-end mountaineering book. I wanted it to be accessible to to anybody as a storytelling book. That's what it was meant to be, meant to look like that. It was meant to be a series of stories set in the mountains, uh, some of the stuff quite exciting perhaps, Another stuff just of interest, what you come across when you're in the hills, because it isn't all about getting to the summit necessarily, albeit that's the drive of most of it, but it's just been in the mountains, and and the more I did it, the more I absolutely just wanted to be there. They started to own me, and I wanted to try and write it in a way that people started to understand that and felt that this book as I said to repeat myself, was accessible to people who are not even mountaineers. If that makes any sense, that was, that was my logic. Now, one of the things that you cover early in the book uh, is your initial motivation to get into mountaineering. Now, yeah. you, you grew up in the town of Bonnybridge, which uh, has as its closest hill, Cowden Hill, which is not by <laughs> any means the, the tallest mountain in Britain. Um, so how did you first come about uh, mountaineering as a, as a hobby? Uh, well, I think something came before that. Uh, I, I think hmm, we're all different, we're all made different, and, and the spirit of adventure, perhaps, is how I'll put it. I, I No matter where I was, in Bonnie Bridge, obviously we started, my friends and I were always the ones that were raking into places that perhaps we should never have been in, where taking certain risks, we're swimming in, you know, swimming in the canal, were lots of things we did that, it was how we were made up, and we wanted to push boundaries, and we wanted to, you know, take, you know, certain risks within limitations, 
And it just was natural after that. I mean, I, you know, I, I, in between those, it took me a long time to really get into it. But I played, I did, I, I boxed for a while, I played rugby for years. And when I realised that my rugby career was coming to an end, not that it was much of a career, but never mind, uh, I did enjoy it. I thought, what else am I going to do? And a friend just invited me. He got mountains one day, as simple as that. And I went up and I just suddenly saw a new world and I, and I thought, I really want to do this. So it, it was it was more than just the fact that I suddenly was up a mountain, but I think you need to have that build, that makeup in you that takes that on board. Because I'm sure other people have kind of gone halfway up mountains in their life and thought, this isn't for me. Well, it was for me. So that's hope that explains it. And of course, one of the major topics that you cover in your book has been uh, the number of Munros that you've been up over the years. Uh, would you like to say something about your, your favourite Munro experiences? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm, yeah, I, I, I suppose it's a bit tick-in-the-box type of stuff and, 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 or anorak train spotting. I did that as well, by the way. <laughs> but it, it isn't really about that. It just that they're there and, and there's the challenge to, to go and, 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 and try the, another one and try it, see what it's like compared to one you were on a while ago. Um, some, like anybody who, who, who's wandering up mountains, meandering through them, through Monroe's, picking the book, some days you'll arrive on a Monroe and you won't be able to see all day and it'll be blizzarding or it'll be lashing the rain and you might think oh, that wasn't much a day but you did it anyway and in other days it is glorious so I suppose these things impact on how you how you view what would be your favourite one would I have a favourite I don't really know I, I mean yeah there's two or three fit in there I, I mean and Shellach was quite special because apart from the situation that sits out in the west of Scotland they're looking right out over the Hebrides and and over the rest of the Western Mountains, it's a big hill. It's a, it's quite a fearsome-looking hill, and it's quite a, it's a test. It is a test. But the fact is, I went over it with my ten-year-old son, and uh, it was just a wonderful day in July, unforgettable, really. And I suppose that I had to put that in my top ten. Um, but some of the sky, the the cooling mountain, you know, the Coolin Ridge, the, the mountains on the Coolin Ridge, they, they're different. They, they, I mean, they they take more than meandering some of these, and so they're they're memorable in their own way, and they're wonderful. Uh, Scornangillian and Ambassador particularly are two that I absolutely love, and I've been up them more than once, different ways, different routes. I just, they just draw me. Uh, the view of them from, from when you're coming from Portree looking up into them, it's, they're just spectacular. Uh, I don't know, there's more, but it doesn't matter which ones I pick. I need to go back to Demayet. Demayet's a small, what, 1,300 feet, 1,400 foot hill in the Ockles, at the west end of the Ockles. And it's a wonderful little hill. It's got everything a mountain would have, except height. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just, and it, I think uh, it was called the Teaching Hill at one point, and I used to take school parties up it and as you stood in the summit of the Mayat you can see the whole of the western you know the, the, the mountains beyond further north 
you can see the site of I think six, maybe seven Scottish battle sites um, across to Falkirk, Sheriff Muir, etc. Stirling itself, Bannockburn, Stirling Bridge, and more. And uh, geology features. You, can, you look across and you, you can see the various uh, outcrops that were, were formed during volcanic eruptions, etc. And there's far more to it than that. But Domayet is one of it's, it's, it has to feature as one of my favourite hills, and it's, it's not because of its height, just because of its interest. And it's just a it's just a an iconic little hill at the west end of the Ockles. Yeah. So I don't know which is my favourite really, but they're all favourite <laughs> in their own way. Well, in addition to your travels up the various peaks of Scotland, you also spent a while cycling around the Western Isles as well. That must have been quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, the Western Isles were one of these, there were blue smudges on the horizon most of the time when we were climbing mountains in the west of Scotland, in the northwest. A place that, you know, many people in Scotland have never been to, and I certainly had never been to either. But I always had this notion, God, I would love to go there one day. And then towards the end of the mountain, you know, the, the Monroe kind of circuit, my friend and I thought, there's a chance we've got a break in our kind of itinerary, as it were. Let's go and cycle the Outer Hebrides from Barra to the Butteleus. And we just did it. Took us four days. I loved every minute of it. It was cycling. It was different. It was lots of sore in the feet, sore on other bits of you. I did it for charity, which is really neither here nor I mean, I raised a, a few pounds for Macmillan nurses, but I absolutely... I loved the, that experience as well. The people I met, people are so friendly, but but they are anyway. And, and if you allow them, just you know, to access your world and, and speak to them and communicate, most people are just absolutely delighted. And, and on that route, I met so many nice people right up through the Uists, in Harris, um, and then right up to the top end of Lewis. Yes, I loved it and. It, it was uh, it was an experience, and, and I'm 74 now, and I still plan to do it again. Uh, so there you go. So that's how much I loved it. So will I be fit for it? Who knows? But I'll try it anyway. Yes, it, it features. It, it was yeah. It, it, in terms of cycling, it, it's not the hardest cycle that anybody ever did, but it's really, really, really enjoyable. It's just the freedom of being out there, just on a bike. Not think of anything, just letting your wheels spin you. It's good. Yes, love that. And staying on the subject of outdoor explorations, your activities took you far beyond Scotland. Yeah, um, they did. I'm not sure which order they came in, but when when my son was 26 and I was 52. There you go. That was a while ago, 20 odd years ago. I was, you know, he was half my age. Our birthday's in the same week, as it turns out, in April. Uh, he was living out in New Zealand at the time, and an opportunity arose for me to go and spend a month with, with him and his, his fiancée in these days. And out I went, and uh, I absolutely loved it. We, we, we got an old van with a mattress in the back. It wasn't a caravan, it was just a van, like a transit van. 
and we just travelled. We travelled from North Island, Rotorua, right down, away down into South Island, and then across, and then all the way back up. And in the process of doing that, we got involved in quite a lot of adventures. But the one I suppose that I covered in a bit more detail was whitewater rafting uh, on the Kaituna River and going over the Akiri Falls, which, well, as far as certainly then, and I, I have no, no way of disproving or proving this this particular, but is it a fact? I was told that it, that particular river they have on the highest uh, commercially rafted waterfall in the world, which is about 30-odd feet. So we had to go over this rapid 30-odd feet straight down in plunging to a pool below and 50% of the rafts go over go upside down. Ours didn't, and we continued on. Exciting stuff. Uh, yes, I loved every minute of it, and I wrote about that in a bit more detail. Uh, New Zealand's a wonderful place. I, I loved every bit of New Zealand. Um, yeah, and I learned, and then... And these days was the first time I had ever drunk flat white coffee. How about that for a piece of... Everybody's drinking flat white now, but in these days it seemed to be a delicacy in New Zealand and I don't know where else, but certainly not over here. But everybody drinks it now. And you had an even more grueling experience when you took part in the Ultimate Challenge, not once but twice. Aye. <laughs> yeah, my friend said it'll be a doddle, Ian. You know, with the stuff that you've done. I was in mountain rescue in these days and... I, and, and I've done a bit of climbing and, and, and some quite heavy-duty things. And yes, that was a doddle, okay. Um, what I hadn't realised was I have a particular impediment in my feet and it causes me quite severe pain in the bones of my metatarsals. But on, on normal days in the hills, when you're all away for a day or, or maybe even a couple, two or three days, it never seemed to kick in. But when you're going to travel carrying your tent, your food, your clothing, and a big rucksack, 40-odd pound or whatever the weight was, it was quite heavy, for 11, 12 days on the trot, it suddenly started to appear with a vengeance. But having said that, uh, that particular trip, I finished up having hallucinations after getting a big injection of penicillin in Bremar and that came about when my foot became poisoned about 18 or so, 90, 18 miles or so from Bremar and my friend had to leave me because he needed to climb two Monroes to complete a part of the challenge it's to do with the high level I didn't get the high level that time because it splits into two and he went away and left me and I couldn't get my boot on, so the only way I could actually get a boot on to complete the journey into Bremar was to actually perform an operation with a pen knife in myself and cut open my foot. And then, for the squeamish among you, don't listen to this, and then squeeze all the yellow pus out <laughs> till the blood started to run. Then I patched it up with plasters and I could get my boot on. I could walk in great pain different type of pain and I walked into, yeah, and eventually I walked to my mother and eventually saw a doctor and was advised to go home. And I did go home, but via Montrose, because I walked to Montrose, despite what the doctor said, which is a bit stupid, but I did it anyway. It's what I'm like. 
it was, and other things happened, and I write them in the book, and it was, a, yes, it was, and you met, I met so many nice people. It is not a competitive walk. It's an event that's populated, in my opinion, the ones I met, just lovely people who are so happy to exchange experiences and give you help as to what route to take on the next day, etc., etc. No, it's a wonderful event. It was called Ultimate Challenge. It then changed eventually to the Great Outdoors Challenge, and it still exists today, albeit this year. It didn't because of obvious, for obvious reasons. Yeah, it's a wonderful event. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned the people that you encountered on your travels, because it seems to me that a lot of the experiences you've had have really been typified by some of the incredible people that you've met along the way. Yeah. The, the, the challenge, for instance, I met a lady who in these days was in her late 60s, maybe 68, 69. And that was in, in the 1980s. Uh, the lady's uh, dead now, but she was on her own. And she planned it to such a degree that she walked with hardly anything in a little rucksack, just her day bag. And I wondered how she could do that. But she didn't have a tent with her because she walked in a planned route where she could arrive at somebody's house where she'd get bed and breakfast for the night or a hotel or a bothy perhaps. But she didn't need to carry sleeping bags or and so it's always a small bag she had. And she just doddled along on her own and walked across the country. And she did it several times and I was in awe of her. I thought, my goodness. Um, another time I was in Sligahan up in Skye. But my friend and I that night, we'd put the tent up and we were heading in to the bar of the Sligahan for lemonade, I think, if I can remember correctly, perhaps. And we met Sam Goldbraith and his wife. He was an MP at the time. He'd climbed in the Alps and he was he was actually quite a, a very good climber. But he was an MP, I think he was a minister in fact. And we had a great night with in his company and then back at his tent. He was still suffering, he, he, he was still ill in these days and eventually an illness that, you know, he, he was not a well man. But just a gentleman, just a decent, honest to goodness person that you would love to meet anywhere. He didn't have any airs and graces. But there was an MP, I know, was irrelevant to him. We talked mountains and we just talked nice, decent, and he was a really decent guy. Yeah, he was another one. And there, there's been many. I mean, a 74-year-old one, same age as I am now, but I wasn't there. In the middle of nowhere on his bike, and he said, and, and during the conversation with him, we were climbing some mountains, but he was cycling through the area. He had a tent set up. And uh, after we'd done what we were doing, he was still there, obviously, because he was staying overnight. So he made us a big pot of tea and we sat and blethered. And he said, what day is it? So we said, whatever, that's Thursday, we'll see. What date is it? So we gave him the date. My goodness, that's a month to the day since I left my house in Preston. And we asked him, well, where have you been? He says, well, I cycled across to the AGM of the Cycle Touring Club across in York from Preston and then I just kept on my bike and I've cycled all the way up through and through Newcastle in through the borders and we were actually quite far north at that point in the mountains and you, I just keep cycling up and down tracks I carry with me and I never forgot this but and he showed us a 
30 metres of this climbing rope wrapped up in his, his bag, his pannier. And we asked him why he needed that. And he said, well, sometimes I get to a point where I can't get the bike over the cliff, so I've got to lower it <laughs> and then find a way around to find my bike. That was impressive. He's 74 years old. I just, I just love talking to that guy. And there's so many of them up there who just, they're just the sort of the world, really. Yeah, that's part of why I love mountains as well, meeting these people. It wasn't just about the, the mountains, per se. And just being in them and with them was just in itself and the wildlife they come across. Yeah, I did meet some really good people. Interesting. Now, given the title of your book, it would be remiss of me not to ask you about your alpine mountaineering experiences. What did it feel like being there on the tallest mountain in the Alps? Uh, I, well, I cried, if you really need to know. It was quite emotional, and, I, and for a moment, I'm not very emotional anyway, but I, I did, yeah, I've always wanted to go up Mont Blanc. It was just one of these things. I mean, other, some of my guys were top-end climbers, and they thought that Mont Blanc was kind of for softies, really, and they did some of them. I, I don't mean that nastily, but they, they had other really, really hard peaks that they, that they climbed that, you know, whereas Mont Blanc kills more people in a year than than any of them. But and and they regarded it as they regarded it as just a bit of a trek. Well, trust me, it's more than just a bit of a trek, I need to tell you. I just always had this notion I wanted to do it and, and I was in the Alps the year before doing a thing called the Hope Route. Uh that was a ten eleven day high-level trek across the Alps, staying high, uh, at the back end of, I forget when it was, I think it was early September, so the snows hadn't quite arrived, but it was still all ice and huge glaciers, dry glaciers in these days, so it had to be roped up in case you fell through crevasses, which one or two of us did, funnily enough, but we were roped up, we were dragged out again, and that was wonderful, and if anybody, anybody wants an introduction to alpine walking, the bleak climbing, then I would suggest that they actually get a guide and do the oat route. There are different variations of it, depending on how hard or how easy you want to make it, and the time of the year is important as well. But it was wonderful, and it was a great introduction, and that set me up for going back the, the following year and climbing Mont Blanc. Um, it, it, as I said, it was hard, physically hard, um, and there was some serious because we we crossed the we, we went the, the original route. I'm kind of hesitating here. You went the classic route, and normally people come in from a different route from the route that we took. We went up the original route right up the middle, over the Boson Glacier, the way that uh, it was climbed originally 200 years before us, and. Uh, it was there was a lot of danger in it. It's objective danger in mountains anyway, but the danger might not have been us falling off something. The danger was most likely to be avalanched out of it or having huge seracs fall on top of us. And we did see both happen. I don't mean people were hurt, but we saw and a big avalanche at one point, which Peter did before it reached us, and then we saw huge lumps of ice cracking off and falling into crevasses and stuff. Not you know quite near us. Uh, yeah, it, it was exciting, it was exhilarating, and I just loved it. And, and, and back to my days in Boringbridge I talked about, it's 
it's inside you. It's, it's, it's in your psyche, hoping and wishing and making yourself or putting yourself in these positions. Uh, and I just loved every bit of it. Yeah. And, and, and Mont Blanc. Yes, it was. Was it the, was it the pinnacle? Oh, in one sense it was, but yeah, I suppose it was really, but there was lots of other pinnacles. There's so many experiences out there that were, that mountains just give you, in my opinion. And one question I've always wanted to ask you is, your book is illustrated with some incredible photographs that you've taken um, and are drawn from your personal collection. Given the heights that you were at when a lot of these photographs were taken, did you have any problems with the camera? Was there any kind of, you know, seizing mechanisms or frozen film or any of those kind of things? No, no not really. Uh, no, I, I, it was fine. I, and I never fired. I mean, the only problems I ever have with a camera is my ability to actually wield it very cleverly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I didn't have any. The only, I, I suppose you could argue the only problem you have, or I had, particularly in the Alps, when you're on the whole scene is white and sometimes there's a blazing sun in you, is actually the technicalities of getting the camera to record properly, you know, because it's just a glare and it's difficult. But apart from that, no, it never broke. It was, I dropped a couple. In the early days, I didn't have a very good camera anyway. It was just small things I had. Uh, it, was, it was laterally I got better cameras. Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't have any problem with it. Apart from, the, apart from adding to the weight, <laughs> perhaps that was a problem. No. Well, Ian, it's been great to chat with you about your mountaineering experiences. And anyone who's interested in finding out about how you get from central Scotland up just about every Munro in Scotland and then over to the Alps by way of the Western Isles in New Zealand will want to read this book and find out for themselves some of the really amazing experiences that you had. Yeah, yeah thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. If I could just finish off to say, I said at the beginning the book was meant to be accessible. I've written it as if I was just telling stories round about a campfire or round about a hearth. And I just hope that because that is the way I've approached the book, because it covers lots of things, place names, etc., places, things of interest about geology, I, I just hope that that, is, that helps the non-climber to pick the book up and just read through following my stories rather than worrying about whether or not it's hanging off ropes and stuff, which most of it isn't. I kept most of that out and I talk about mountain rescue at one point with two, three quite, I think, quite amusing stories, but I've got to finish off in the book I did it and say just now, you know, yeah, I wrote mountain rescue from I don't mean frivolous, but, but from a point of view of kind of keep it light-hearted and show how I mean, the, the teamwork involved. But it's a serious game, mountain rescue, and some of our friends got killed in it. And so I do mention that at the end, but I tried not to hammer on about that. Yeah, I just hope you do enjoy the book if you if you <laughs> if you have, have a mind to get it. Uh, thank you very much. Cheers, Tom. It's been great to speak to you today. Ian. From the Mike, the Mont Blanc is available to buy from all good independent retailers and online booksellers worldwide. Thanks for joining us today. I hope that you'll tune in again soon.
If you would like to find out more about advertising on the Extremist Publishing Podcast, please visit their website at www.extremistpublishing.com for details.